Up next on episode 79 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss open sourcing markdown, the necessity of barriers on the open internet, and the importance of design in the software process from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. I was just, uh, I was just uh, in a meeting to the last second with this guy. He made a stack exchange called Climate Deal. Mm. Did you hear about that? I haven't heard of it. ClimateDeal.org. www.climatedeal.org. It's, it's, um, it's a climate change stack exchange. And cool. I guess there's lots of money in the NGO business really well yeah Climate well since we're big business cool I, I didn't know anything about that and and another thing i don't know anything about but somebody mailed me about and i want to mention since we're on the topic of stack exchanges is it's an astronomy stack exchange oh but not just not just astronomy but like i'm a ast- libra and you're a leo and therefore we should <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Joel, right. <laughs> actually, Joel, I'm a Capricorn. So, aha, and Capricorns are very stubborn, as you know. And I'm a Leo. Well, uh, huh? I know that you're stubborn. I don't know about <laughs> Capricorns in general. I, I, this is the crazy thing about the astrological signs. Like everybody born in a specific month has the same personality traits. Yeah, like that just doesn't sure. even make any sense at all. <laughs> doesn't even. Doesn't even, doesn't even pass up. like the sniff test of like, does this sensible? No, it's completely. This is like turning lead into gold. It's ridiculous. Right. Anyway, now what's not real is biorhythms. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. Uh, but no, this Sorry. is this is a real thing. It's actually astrotech. So I guess it's it's technical astronomy. Interfacing with telescopes oh, and telescopes. observatories, yeah, and astronomical instrumentation, but it's answers.ascom-standards.org. So I guess they had an existing site and they redirected answers.ascom.org. Uh, yeah, answers.ascom-standards.org. Oh, so, dash standards. Yeah. Um, so if you're into astrotech, whoa! Look at all these people. Look at all these questions. Ascom. Yeah. Is Ascom a thing? I think Ascom might be a thing because there are people asking about Ascom here. Yeah, I think it is a thing. I mean, this is, this is what, when we you know, created Stack Exchange, we were looking at niches, and I'm a big fan of these little niches yeah. on the Internet. I here think we it's go. wonderful. We've got we to gotta tell the listeners. Ascom is a many-to-many and language-independent architecture supported by most astronomy devices which connect to computers. So it sounds yeah. like it's like the MIDI of telescopes. Yes, that makes sense. That's what it sounds but if like. only it could play music, Joel, then... Except that it doesn't play music, it plays telescopes. <laughs> That's right. And some of the names here I recognize from Stack Overflow, so I think that there's a little bit of overlap. Maybe not. Maybe it's just because there's people named Chris and Peter and Bob and stuff. <laughs> 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 just look at the first name. Uh, yeah, it is sort of interesting how these things, like the first level and the second level of spreading. I asked um, Jose, who was here today from Climate Deal, what like how he heard about Stack Exchange and why he decided to start using it and all that kind of stuff. 
and you know, uh, he he said that uh, I mean they built a whole site. They're building a, like a whole organization around Stack Exchange, kind of, and and they're going to promote it to other climate change type organizations and other green organizations uh, that they know. And uh, I asked him how he found out about it. And he's like, well, we were working with these programmers and the programmers <laughs> suggested that we look at this and they use Stack Overflow. Good. So um, there's sort of a, like all the programmers that use Stack Overflow have, a, have, a, have an obligation now to talk to all the people in the other industries and get them excited about the Stack Overflow vision for the future. Anything to keep people off PHP. It's like keeping people off drugs. It's just the right thing to do. Right. And when I say PHP, I mean PHP BB. I'm specifically talking about PHP BB. Right. You know that there is like 99.999% of PHP is not PHP BB. I know. I know. No, there's a ton. Yeah. <clears throat> well, actually, we do want to keep people off that too. For let's other segue. Let's, well, not necessarily. I've kind of resigned myself to a world of PHP at this point. So one thing I want to talk about is over the holiday, I was able to contact the person who created the Markdown. So there's two Markdown. Markdown is the markup language that we use on Stack Overflow. And there's two implementations that we have. One is for the client-side preview, which is the WMD control, which we had to reverse engineer because the whole story is in the previous podcast. Yeah. and then there's the server-side implementation. So one of the difficulties we ran into was that these, these are subtly different implementations. Sure. So people, the previews are not matching what actually shows up on the site. Right. Now, over the holiday, I did improve the preview, like the main areas that were just kind of oversights, really. Like, we had changed some of the rules about bold and italic, and for the most part, they match now. I mean, except for really weird edge cases. Okay. I got rid of all the obvious mismatches. Yeah. And actually, I got help um, from uh, Jacob uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I'm just going to say Jacob, who who runs a, the the Math Overflow Stack uh-huh. Exchange. Yeah, he was very Math helpful. Net, I think. Yeah, he was helpful in sort of troubleshooting that because they use a lot of weird syntax on Math Overflow. Oh, they do amazing things with uh, math notation. Basically, they use LaTeX. Yes, but we've talked about that before. But um, yeah. in addition to that, they just have ASCII notation as well. And the ASCII notation can be problematic because you're putting characters in, in sequences that are just really, really uncommon right. in any kind of normal text at all. Uh, so they were running into a lot of edge conditions as well. So he was very helpful. So I do want to give a shout out to, to, to Jacob in that regard. Oh God, have so you that looked was, at Math Overflow lately? It's absolutely insane. Look at all I these tags. They've got, they've got tags with little dots in them. <laughs> Why, why is that? Oh, I see. The, the, the well, dot is like Joel, I'm kind of allergic to math, so it's not really good for me to be around math. There could be like math. That's actually kind of clever. No, look, go to the site and look at their tag cloud over there. What they're doing is the, 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 they've got like two-letter abbreviations for tags, and then they use both. So it's, it's like a two-letter abbreviation dot and then the name. So it's like FA dot functional analysis or RA dot rings and algebras. Look what you've done, Joel. You've made me go to a math site. Are you listening to good. a word I'm saying? I am listening, but I'm just trying to tell you. This, Look at the tags. Not... This is a general. This is a general idea that they I seem to have it. invented here. So now, if you know that you just you just did a lot of probability stuff, you don't what? have to type probability. You type pr dot, and then it only has one match. You see? Get it? The Hawaiian earring. <laughs> see, this is the tags. Look at the tags. I know. I'm looking at the tags. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've processed that. Now you see what they've done? Now they have this cool feature. So you can just type like three letters and, and it'll only have a unique match. Very rapidly, yes. Although we do match anywhere. So. I know, but you'll, you'll have multiple matches because the, those, those two letters, 
You see, because they put that little dot in there, this yeah. means that if you just know the two-letter code for something, you're, it, you're just going to hit the two-letter code and you're done. Yep. Cool. No, Math Overflow is great. I mean, it's been hugely popular. There's been definitely demand for it from way back. And I don't understand anything. I mean, there's nothing, like nothing. Hawaiian earrings, I know what those are, but <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think. The Hawaiian earring is the one-point compactification of a countable union of open intervals. I'm glad there's a place like I'm glad there's people smart enough to do this advanced math stuff because I really really suck at it. <coughs> I'm voting that up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you can vote on math over- overflow. No, you no. Have voting. No, uh, no, it, it it didn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I yeah, to talk, a little bit I of red talk to Aaron. <laughs> I need to talk to Aaron. I want to I want to be able to vote on math overflow. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Math Overflow is fantastic, and Jacob's the guy who's been uh, helping us out on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the server-side implementation was where I wanted to do some additional work, and it wasn't actually open-source project. Just I don't think it was intentional, but the original author did not present it under an open-source license, which means, as you know, if it's not open-source, then it's copyrighted by default. Right. So I contacted him, and he was totally cool about it, and he granted the copyright to me. Yeah. So I was then able to turn around and open-source that and put it up as uh, Markdown Sharp, on Google Code, mm-hmm. and I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, and I was able to make quite a bit of progress. And you know, we're always we're a little bit down on unit testing, mm-hmm. but this is this is like a textbook example of of where you want unit tests. Right. And one of the first things I did was was put in unit tests. And unit tests for Markdown are pretty simple. They're basically input and output. So you have an input file which is Markdown, and then you pass it through the processor, and then the output should sure. match the yep. reference. Yeah, this is, the, a, this is an awesome example of something where it's straight text transformation. It's so easy to do automated tests and unit tests and TDD and all that kind of stuff. And it, I mean, like it's this. brilliant. I mean, yeah. because I found just unbelievable number of bugs. I found bugs, oh my gosh, I found a lot of bugs. I found bugs like in our port that were just accidental bugs. Like there was an accidental, literally like an extra space in the regex in the wrong place. Right. And it was causing it. It wasn't causing anything to break, but it was causing like failure to match, and that was causing the output to be subtly wrong. Not in a way that really broke anything per se, but it was wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I fixed that, and then there were. There's a lot of bugs from the actual implementation, the the Perl implementation. The original implementation of Markdown is, is Perl. And, and was it also done it, with like eight million regexps? Yes. So I sent you a link. Yeah. Uh, you should click on that link now and look at Here that. We go. Yeah, I saw that. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's the most beautiful a... bad code I've ever seen in my life. Yes, uh, there's somewhat of a tradition, unfortunately, of writing uh, markdown parsers in regex, and that definitely starts to have downside. I mean, I'm a huge fan of regular expressions, but, but you but start here's, to here's understand. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Where it's just it's it's really complicated. I mean, it's extremely complicated code. I I haven't been able to get anyone to really help me. Uh, now, to be fair, th- this yeah. gets into issues of like running an open source project. So now I'm quote unquote running an open source project. It's a very small one, and I solicited help. And a lot of people have contributed patches and stuff, and I- and I really appreciate that. But one thing I've noticed is there's a lot of painting the bike shed that goes on, you know, <laughs> versus like the core problem of when you have this mass dense mass of code that's just a bunch of really super complicated regular expressions. Mm-hmm. Although some of them aren't too complicated, but the, the flow of the program is, is very regex-based. Yeah. Um, now, people wait, are not really able to help you very much. That's uh, what I've seen. You mean because they just can't parse it and figure it out? Like, they, they can't or yeah. they don't want to. Or, well, but the really hard part of the code, I'm yeah. not 
getting a ton of help with. I, I think that's ha- always true with any kind of uh, language. Yeah. But here's, here's some things that I have to say a couple of things. One is this, this code, and this is, um, it says copyright. Well, then, too, okay, let me, let me clarify what you're looking at. Based on John Gruber, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're looking at the PHP markdown. Now, one of the pro- let me give you a little bit of background because I have to, one, when I mentioned, okay, we have a reference markdown standard, that's yeah. kind of the problem with markdown. There is kind of a standard, it's John Gruber laid out the specification, but there's a lot of edge conditions he didn't cover. Sure, that always happens lot, in these specs. There's you a just... lot of bugs. Sure. I mean, yeah. A ton of bugs. Well, this makes me kind of wonder, is John Gruber a computer scientist in any way, or just did he just sort of I programmer? I don't know. See, I, like, I don't think you need to be a computer scientist to write code. Well, this code you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Let me, let, here's, here's, here's what I want to make. This is a very, very weak statement, and I feel like I may be talking out of school, but Markdown is, a regular, is not a regular language. And when you have a non-regular language, you can't use regular expressions to parse it. You can try, but there's going to be not just edge cases. You're, you're, you're going to have sort of infinite bugs, basically. And, and, and uh, anybody that had taken a compiler course, I think, looking at the problem of Markdown, would have said, I don't need a bunch of regular expressions. I need, uh, I, I need a lexer and a parser. And, and lexers and parsers are easy to write, and they're utilities that generate them for you. So um, unless I'm missing something, actually, I'm looking at this code, and it has a thing called a parser. But it's I not mean, really a parser. Yeah, it's not a parser. No, I mean, you definitely, as I said, I, this is the PHP implementation. So what I found was that the PHP implementation is actually much better than the Perl implementation. Even the, there's like some secret unreleased versions of the Perl implementation. The, the, so the original the version, was Perl, and it was all, probably all the same regex. I mean, it, the thing about the Perl implementation is it was really close. Yeah. But it had edge conditions that are super, super hard to get rid of without writing a lot of complicated code. Yeah. I think it's the classic example of Perl code in that it worked for the 95% case. But once you start looking at the, the unit tests that fail, yeah. um, to fix them, it's just this, this rabbit hole of like, yeah. you have Maybe to go back strange, and do you, it. If you start out by using you know, Yak and Bison and like Lex and those tools that, that, do, that do lexical analysis and, 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 and make a parser for you, and using state transitions like, like a normal compiler writer does, <laughs> you wind up with code that n- never has edge conditions. When it does, they're very easy to fix. I agree. I and mean, in fact, it that forces look, you look, to go fix your spec. Because then you go back and you look at your spec, which you did not write in BNF form because you don't know what BNF form is because you're not a computer scientist. And, uh, and, and, and you say, oh, there are going to be a million things that I forgot to define here because I'm not defining this rigorously. And I'm not defining this rigorously because I'm just writing a bunch of text in English mm-hmm. when I should be writing... <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. When I should be writing, I need something liquid. There's some really cold coffee here. <laughs> okay. Still tastes quite good. Uh, anyway, what was I ranting about? I'm sorry. I didn't uh, mean to criticize anybody in particular. It's just that the choice of, you know, a, a lot of people see a problem like Markdown and they say, ah, I need to search for certain things and replace them with other things. And I, I think that that's kind of, that the real way to look at that is, I mean, you can, do, you can go down that path of regex and I am searching for things and replacing them with other things. Mm-hmm. But you, you can, when, you, when you do that, you're never really keeping track of what state you're in as you go through the tree. And so you make mistakes and you have edge conditions and there are p- things that people can insert that will cause you to output things that are very, very invalid. 
and um, and and I think that somebody who has taken a compilers course would say would say, oh, I have a text that I need to translate to a different form. I need to lex it and parse it, and then I need to create an abstract syntax tree, and then I need to just basically write out that other form. And this is not a lot of code, and you wouldn't get a lot of code if you did it that way, actually. So there was a funny there was a funny post on uh, Reddit. A reaction to the the blog post that I put up, and he said that it became a tradition to have crappy implementations of Markdown after the <laughs> the re- because the reference implementation was a certain way, so it just it kicked off a lot of clones. Right? Because oh, I'll just I'll it. just yeah. copy this. The, the, I mean, because it it really does, and to give credit, it does work for the ninety five percent case. Sure. I mean, the edge conditions are not terribly bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but fixing them is just unbelievably difficult, and that's where you get into if you want to do this the right way. Yep. Then. It is difficult to do it with regular expressions. Yeah, I don't I, see. I, I think I, I, I am speaking out of school here. Somebody will come up with a proof for this, but I, I don't even think it's possible because the language is not regular, and regular expressions are for regular languages. It, it's possible. It's just the code becomes very, very difficult to work on, in right. my opinion. I mean, I, I'm certainly seeing that with the PHP implementation where they fixed a lot of the problems with the Perl 1.01 uh-huh. and 1.02, yeah, the unreleased yeah. version. Uh, the, he has a different parser there, Boy. and it's it's really complicated. Um, just I wish I had the regular... a computer science student. Hey, if you're a computer science student and you're looking for a senior <laughs> project, or just a project, do a, an implementation of Markdown in you know in a, as a compiler, like like the. Way I, I think there are actually, yeah. uh, but the problem is, I just did a cursory look because my goal was really simple. I sort of fell down the rabbit hole. I was like, okay, I'm just porting code. Yeah. I'm not. Trying to write new code. Right. That's not really my goal here. Right. I just right. want to make sure I match the reference implementation. Sure. So you have two problems. One is the reference imp- implementation kind of sucks. It's not really right. It's not referency. It's not referency at all. Do not. Uh, so then, then you look at the the alternative implementation, which is PHP Markdown, probably honestly the most mature one, the one that's maintained the best, mm-hmm. um, and the most accessible, the one I could find, uh, and. You know, it, it follows the lead of the, of the original implementation. It's it is just, gorgeous code but, in the sense that I mean, it's very well structured and it's clean and it's. I mean, yeah, there's no, no reason to be embarrassed well by this for code. PHP. No, for PHP, it's it's quite good. Yeah, and the regex and, are all broken out on multiple lines with millions of comments and stuff like that. Well, I sent Joel a link, and I'll put this link in the show notes. But that's the link to the the HTML detection regex, which is like. I would say on, a, on an average large programmer's monitor, it's a, it's a regular expression that's probably two to three pages long. And, and it, it, it's used with white space. I mean, it's broken up. Uh, it's probably the most complicated regular expression I've ever seen that's actually a real thing and not a joke. Well, they have those those ones that match e- email addresses. I know, but that one I consider that one <laughs> fourteen <a> joke. pages. <laughs> I consider that one kind of a joke. Nobody really, hopefully, uses that. Uh, but this was written by you know a human being, and it, it's commented and right. uses white space and all the right things. Um, and just compiling it, just to show you how complicated it is, yeah. if you specify compiled on that regex, which by the way does not help, it actually hurts in this case. I think because the regex is so complicated. Yeah. .NET freaks out on my machine for about five seconds. Like trying to compile this thing, it, it works. It does compile it, but it takes. It literally just freezes your CPU, so it goes way up, um, and it kind of drives the the regex compiler a little bit crazy. I think, so it, it it's quite a sight to see, um, and it, it it really highlights to me one of the big weaknesses of regular expression, which is matching paired things yes. that are pairs. Yes, that's what it means to be regular or not regular. Yeah. That's really a pain in the butt huh. in uh, regex, and that's that's what a lot of the hairiest code yeah. is balanced matching, right? Uh-huh. Precisely and what regular expressions by being called regular expressions and not 
regular or irregular expressions were meant to signal to the people that knew what the word regular meant. In fact, the, there's some tricky way in Perl to do this that, that it doesn't really work in .NET or PHP's regular expression engine. So what you have is essentially you, you loop through n times, uh-huh. and you can only match n deep. So there's actually the repeat string call, which right. you can see in there is repeating, you know, match left paren or match left bracket, match right bracket, match. And you can, it'll only match n deep where n is, in this case, six, because it's literally concatenating six strings together uh, to get a recursive match. There's some super weird way you can do it in .NET as well. There's some variant of the, of the, the regex, because regex implementations are not all the same. Uh, and on .NET, one special sure. thing they do is they have a form of balanced matching, but it, I've never really been able to, to use it. It's kind of weird and... It's just not an area of strength for regular expressions. Anytime you have to match things nope. that are balanced, it's just really awkward. And there's tons of that in the Markdown parser. Yeah, so you can tell you're in a dangerous H- place. The people that try to do things to HTML with regular expressions. Yeah, well, that's what we're doing. We're doing things to the yep. HTML because that's what that giant regex, that three-screen regex, is about. Have we already talked about HTML. that very, very, very famous Stack Overflow question yeah, and answer? About, yeah, we talked about that one. We'll link to that yeah. in the show notes, too. Madness. Yeah. Right. Well, right, right. But it's sort of like, is, it's like when you try to do this, at some point you're the computer in Star Trek and you've just been asked to calculate pi to the last digit. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I can do this. Look, well, I'm getting did, more digits. You know, the more I work on it, the more digits I get. This is, this is bound to terminate at some point. Right. Well, let me be clear. I mean, we did improve it. When I started the, oh, yeah. the Markdown C Sharp, it was passing 15 out of 23 tests. Uh, I got it without taking on this, this really hard part. This is the really hard part, to be clear, this, this block parser. That's uh-huh. the last piece of the puzzle. Before I got to that point, it was passing 21 of 23 unit tests. There's only two tests that's failing, and it's basically an issue of nesting with, right. with tags where it can't quite figure out the right order because the whole balance matching thing. Right? Yeah, and you can have... Here's the thing. You might be closing a... Ta- if you have... Think of, think of HTML. You have open angle bracket, do, 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 open double quote, and then you close an angle bracket inside the double quote that doesn't close the angle bracket. Hmm. Right? You got, you got uh, open angle bracket, IMG, SRC equals, double quote, blah, blah, greater than. Double quote. That, that greater than was inside quotes. It doesn't close the first greater, the, the, open, the open angle bracket because it's quoted. It's part of the quote. Right. And, you know, people will do that, and they will expect that that greater than is a part of the quotes. It's, it's not closing the, the tag. And in a regular expression, in, in, in regex, there's just like literally no way. I mean, maybe there is some in the Microsoft version, but there's, there's like literally no way to be in a different state inside those double quotes than you are outside the double quotes because of the whole problem with matching. Absolutely. No, I mean, this gets to the heart of the problem. Right. And, uh, and that stuff it, is so trivial with a state machine. So yep. easy. So, so easy to know what state you're in. I mean, it just happens automatically when you write the code the right way. So, I, you know, what can I say? This is, I think, one of, those, one of those instances where this is one of those few, few instances where the things that are part of the standard computer science curriculum are really an important part of the working knowledge of working, of working programmers. Right. That's my, that's, my, that's my official opinion on this matter. Right. No, I agree. I mean, you're essentially creating a language, so yeah, yeah I think you're at the state where you need to do that. So um, anyway, en- enough about that. But it is an open source project. We have improved it. We fixed a ton of bugs in it. Maybe um, I should maybe I should make a prize to the computer science student that re-implements Markdown in uh, you know in, in as a proper uh, 
And there are some out there. Somebody referenced one in Haskell, but I don't even know Haskell, like, even a little. Oh, yeah, so. but that should be really short in Haskell because Haskell is, like, super optimized for that particular task. And that doesn't really help me because I need to convert it to C-sharp, so that... Uh, yeah, you'd have, to, you'd have to use... What's the... Um, uh, you could convert it fairly easily to uh, F-sharp. I see. Well, um, maybe someone listening will, will take an interest in this and want to translate that... Um, like I said, it's open source, so you can contribute. I do take patches. Yeah. And running an open source project has been interesting. I I haven't really done that before, actually, the whole concept of accepting patches. But I, I was a little disappointed that there was not very many people willing to help me with these really hard regex problems. But a lot of people willing to comment on, like, the way I structured the project or <laughs> the way I stored my files. or yeah. <laughs> You know, these are really the the problems that I really need help with. I mean, I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. Right. There was some good feedback about how to lay out the project, and I agreed with a lot of it, but it wasn't really helping me fix the failing unit test. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, But some that's okay. Some, some and actually, wrong. you know who you turned me on to? No. This guy, Derek Sivers? Yeah. This CD Baby? I had heard yeah. of CD Baby, and I think I had heard of Derek Sivers. Sure, CD but Baby I actually, was huge. And then he yes. gave, gave, gave it away. Yeah, I was really, I love, I was very inspired by a lot of the stuff on his blog and a lot of things he was talking about, yeah. and I, I awesome. thought it was wonderful. And, and one thing he talked about that I totally agree with, when, when I started this project, I didn't really expect people to help me. The, the goal was not, okay, now you all have to come help me. Um, I did want some advice about unit testing, because I, I don't do it very much, and I, I ironically right. did not get a ton of help in that area. <laughs> yeah, and we're against it, remember. Yeah, we're like against them. Like, okay, show me how awesome it is. And yeah. I had to kind of do it all myself. But that's okay because there's a really nice post by Derek Sivers called Nobody's Going to Help You. Does that encourage you or discourage you? <laughs> yeah. And this is always kind of how I've been. It's like I don't it want en- people to help me. It like, I encourages you, right? You're like, oh, right, fuck because, it, I'll do it. Well, exactly. Because I'm like, I, I just need to get this done. Like, I feel strongly about having a markdown implementation that doesn't suck. Yeah. And I, I really want it really want it bad. I want it so bad that I'm just going to do it. I don't care if you're going to help me or not. Uh, I'm going to get it done one way or another. Um, and that was kind of the point of his post was that there was a struggling musician that had contacted him about, you know, how do I get people to help me? And, you know, he just had to remind him that, you know, unless you want it more than anybody else, it's just not really going to happen for you. You know, I mean, nobody's magically going to jump in and, and help you. Right. Uh, and the type of people that will help you will be inspired by you getting it done anyway. So it's sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that's the right way to approach open source projects in general. I mean, because, you know, I have a bunch of eyeballs on me, so I can just sort of beg for help and actually get help. But for the average programmer, if you start an open source project, how do you even get anyone to look at it? Well, you have to, it has to be useful enough that people start using it, and then you have eyeballs on you. Yeah. It's yeah. the only so way to I, do it, right? You have to make something that enough people want to use. Yeah. So you basically have to solve the problem to even get people to be interested to the point that sure. you know, they, yeah. they would help you solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Stack Overflow is not a... Uh, sorry, that's Stack Overflow. What am I saying? Open source is not a magical way to build a community around a goal. It, that's it, it, it just, true. And, and the number of open source projects that were created on this belief that it had this magical power just by declaring it open source would magically make some code that nobody needs come back to life. You know, people would... A lot of times people would be like, oh, I wrote this code. It was okay. I never really finished it. And it doesn't quite work, but it would. And it turns out that the thing that it does isn't very important or interesting. You don't really need this anymore. So I'm just going to open source it. And then they're surprised that nobody wants to contribute to their project. Like, well, I'm not doing anything with it. I'm going to open source it. 
Well, and this is where I kind of started to have a beef with, with a little bit of a beef with John Gruber, although I, I tremendous respect for John Gruber. I really love Markdown, but I feel like the leadership was not good, and it has really started to hurt the language, if you will, like the, the Markdown as a thing is being harmed by this lack of leadership because, yeah. A, nothing has been done. I mean, the original code is from 2004. It's still up there. I mean, there's bug fixes you can find if you know how to search for them, but they're, it's not obvious how to even find them. Right. Um, so you're looking at code from 2004 that I can verify is full of bugs, like major bugs. Right. Um, it doesn't really have the right implementation in terms of, as we discussed, if as programmers start looking at this, they realize, okay, regular expressions work for the 95% case, but if you want to go to 100% and do this exactly the right way, yeah. you kind of have to use lexers and parsers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, there's no indication of that. Um, I don't know. It, just, it was just frustrating to me that there was there was leadership, but it was like an empty kind of leadership that was kind of more harming the project than helping it. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring attention to and, and hopefully fix that. But that said, I did – we went through and we did a bunch of charitable donations this year. Yeah. The Stack Overflow had a reasonably good year. And I tried to go through our entire development stack and contribute back money because, I, I mean, time. I don't have time. <laughs> Right. If I had infinite time, I would do that. But I have more money than time at this point, so I was contributing money to these open source projects, and uh, I actually contributed back to Markdown. How do you there contribute to Markdown? Who? Where, where does this money go? Uh, basically, it goes to John Gruber, and he does what with it? I don't know, but does I, he, he have like a credit. PayPal I mean, account or something yeah. you can send money. To but I mean, he Markdown? created it. I mean, I really like the spec. Oh, and I thought he, he just did sort of was like, "Hey, it works spec. for me. If you guys want it, go ahead. It's open source." Now leave me alone. But it's but it's not really open source. That's the thing. Well, I guess it technically is, but uh, I don't know. It, you you can't have open source without some kind of leadership, though. And I mean, John Gruber was. I mean, he's such a big internet figure, right? This yeah. is not some random guy, right? So the silence was deafening, you know, and it has been deafening. And I was hoping we would fix that. But I I I went through and contributed to all the parts of our stack: Creative Commons, uh, jQuery. Um, all the tools we use on a day-to-day basis, yeah. uh, beyond compare, all that good stuff. It's it's in a blog post, but I just want to yep. point out that I, I do try to give back in, in whatever way that we can. Time's not always a realistic uh, way of doing that, unfortunately. Okay. Yay us. Um, Yay us. <laughs> anything else on the agenda for the day? You want to take some listener questions or something? or? Yeah, let's do some listener questions. We had a lot of blah, blah, blah from us already. Yeah. We haven't said any... Let's see. We criticized test-driven development. Did we criticize, we criticize regular expressions? <laughs> I, I like, think open, we criticized open source. You know what really sucks? <laughs> Macintosh. Oh, man. Don't even get me started on the Mac. Yeah. It's terrible. God, what a, what a friggin'. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I... That, I see, I'm sort of stalling here because somewhere here I have a folder... That has all the like listener questions. Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to mention something, which yeah. is that we did reduce uh, the question the filing pop. price for CVs on Stack Overflow. Oh wait, you know, I had a listener question about that. Here we go. Hello, Joel and Jeff. Uh, my name is Ivan. I am a software developer from New York. Uh, my question is about pricing uh, for careers at StackOverflow.com. I do understand why you need to charge developers thirty dollars for registration. However, that is an introductory rate. And the the real deal is a hundred dollars, and I feel that this is way above of what I will be ever ready to pay for being listed on a job site. I'm pretty sure that many developers think the same. So my question is, what's the reasoning behind 
this sort of pricing? Why do you need, why do you think you will be able to attract the adequate horde of adequate developers with the pricing like that? Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hey, see, I have a question for everything. Well, first of all, it's because we hate Trick software question. developers. Yeah, yeah. Let's be totally clear about that. We, yeah. we don't like them. We don't want them. No, of course not. Uh, anyway, so this is all reflected in, in the new pricing structure. And I think we were trying to figure out what the pricing level should be. And, and I know we covered this many times, but it bears repeating that this was always intended as just a barrier for, to, to keep out the, period, the people who really aren't serious. Right. Um, because we really strongly, and I very strongly feel that there has to be a barrier. And it's, you know what it's like? It's like on Stack Overflow, and even on Wikipedia, there was a really great uh, blog entry. I'll have to link it on the Citizendium blog. Wow, that's really, really hard to say. Where <laughs> they were talking to Wikipedia, and the Wikipedia guys were, wow, it's really hard to edit a Wikipedia article. It's really hard to understand these talk pages that you guys have, which is totally true, by the way. I mean, it, it'll blow your mind. We've covered this before. But they, they came back and said, you know what? That's intentional. Yeah, we actually want a barrier to keep the less serious people out, and I totally believe in that. And and I'm I'm just saying you need a toddler size barrier. You don't need like a giant you know Berlin Wall with like armed guards and barbed wire. That's too much of a barrier. Mm -hmm. You want like a toddler size barrier that's going to keep out just lazy people who don't even really care, but will like come in to sort of poke your stuff because they're bored. <laughs> Um, and I totally agree with that. That's why on Stack Overflow, you know, some of the barriers we have are in place, like OpenID and things like that. Um, are there kind of for a reason? And that, to, in my mind, is directly equivalent to the careers barrier of you. You have to pay us a nominal fee to file your CV. It says you're serious, and as Joel has said many times, it means you have some reasonable chance of actually getting a job. You know, you're not going to come yeah. in and file just to see what happens. <laughs> You're going to file because, you know, you have some talent and you have some experience or you're, you're a student and you've done well at, at school and you're really into this stuff. You really enjoy it and you, ha you believe you have a legitimate chance of getting a job. Yep. Uh, so that's always been the goal. So, but we only want a toddler-sized barrier. Oh God. Sorry about all the ringing. I'm trying to that's all right. That's right. the next step. So we did push it down to $19 per year. Yes. We think that's a sustainable price. I mean, the goal isn't really to make a killing here. It's just, you know, what, what level of barrier makes sense. And we're realizing over time we, we definitely shot too high. So it's $19 for one year of CV filing. And the $99 price we had before, that's now the lifetime price. So if you don't want to deal with recurring billing, you just want to have an account that forever. you can... Yeah, yeah. Forever. Then it's just $99. That might be ideal for uh, somebody who is using it to get gigs. Like basically they're using it as a way to advertise their service for as a, it's kind of a freelance developer for hire as opposed to a full-time, you know, somebody getting full-time jobs. The $99 deal might be a great way to just keep your name up there all the time, basically. That's right. And yep. every time this comes up, we have to clarify, there's a part of the service that's free, and there's a part of the service where there's this nominal yearly fee. The, the part of the service where you pay the fee is to be searchable by employers. Right. Everything you else can actually free. start a CV for nothing. Yeah. We don't charge anything, and you can put it up on the public internet. Yeah, uh, But if you want employers to know, hey, look, I'm available, um, and provide some additional information to them, such as your location, et cetera, et cetera, um, that's what the filing fee is about. Yeah. And you can easily transition between those two worlds. You can just go play with it for nothing. Right. The free thing is just make a, make a free CV uh, and, and go to the job listings and look and see what employers are up there and email them and say, hey, here's a link to my CV. Yep, you can totally do that. And it's just a question of the, you know, for the employers that are in there that just want to kind of browse and grab a few people, 
um, you know, you're going to, you'll probably get found quicker if you, if you do it. But, you know, it's not, it's not an expensive part of the whole job search process. And let me tell you, we just, uh, um, we're trying to hire a graphic designer slash user interface, user experience expert um, for Fog Creek, somebody who is really Oh, yeah. How is that going? I totally support that. I think that's awesome. Tell, yeah. me, tell me how that's going. Uh, well, I got 140 resumes. Wow. 150 maybe. And I wish, I wish I had been stricter in the job post about <laughs> saying what the requirements were. <laughs> well, see, this is the advantage, Joel, if, if you inverted it. If you yeah. were searching yes. through... CVs, Correct. then you wouldn't have this problem. Yes, and there is a place to search through portfolio. There are a couple places to search through portfolios. People mention Haystack. Haystack is not really for hiring individual designers. It's more for like these design shops that do outsource design. And the outsource design is something that is just not working. I, I, I don't get... Let me start with that story, which is... I'll tell you a little story that happened. Um, we're working on... a trying to get a nice new logo for Stack Exchange. We have a kind of a makeshift kind of thing with a stack. <laughs> and it's a dorky logo, but, but it's, a, it's a placeholder. We want a real fancy logo, like a professional logo. So, um, you know, David went to Haystack, which is uh, this website where you can look at portfolios of various design firms in your area, and um, browsed around and found one that seemed non-awful and hired them to do a logo. And they came up with some concepts, and we said we kind of like these, but we need them to be a little bit more like this. And we gave them some, some feedback. And then they came up with some more concepts, and they were getting a little bit closer. And at some point, I finally said, all right, do that one with those colors. And they're like, okay, done. And they started working on that. In the meantime, somebody else here at Fog Creek decided, well, I really don't like these colors that much, and I kind of like the font from over there. And they did their own mock-ups. They're like, hey, let's just use these ones. And everybody around here was like, yeah, we like that. Yeah, that's good. So now you've, we've hired a designer to come up with something. And, 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 and people at Fog Creek now sort of expect me to go back to this designer and say, yeah, um, okay, and now make it look exactly like this. <laughs> I know, you're the designer. We're paying you. But... When the designer is an outside designer, instead of that conversation all taking place here, it's like, you know, every couple of days somebody sends an email and we must be the ultimate client from hell. And I understand why so many client-designer relationships end up kind of going off the rails for this exact reason. And you can just see that when you have two different organizations, you can't be of one mind about design. You have to, it, it just, it, it can't possibly work. I, saw, I, I see one of the things that you'll hear web designers talk about all the time is how to friggin' get their clients to sign off on things because their biggest problem is that they build something that the client asked for and then, and then the client is like, okay, now do it differently. And they, and, and, and they really want the client to like put their signature on a page saying this is exactly what you will build and when you build this, I have done my job. And then the client, and the client will sign that and then they're going to be unhappy when they get the thing back because it's not going to look right. Anyway, um, Long story short, having been doing this now for nine years with exter external designers, I can tell you for sure that that system is fundamentally broken and never going to work. So there. Well, I, I have a little bit of experience. You know, we did the three logo contests with 99designs and CrowdSpring. Yeah. And it's very much a shotgun type approach. I mean, you get so much noise. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, and it takes a lot of concerted effort. And that's something, really by the way, that, that, that's something that many of the more professional designers consider to be a, a threat to their, to their well-being. Right. Because right. you've got all these people basically designing with no possibility of ever getting paid, whereas only the top 
few get paid and the hundreds don't get paid for their work. And they're like, a designer is doing valuable work. All their work should be paid. And right. I, well, I think I it think, fills you know, a niche, though. I think it fills a niche. I think, the, right. I think eventually you get to the point where you guys are doing the right thing, which is you're hiring a designer, which is fantastic. I mean, I think this well, is wonderful. Well, we just want to have one, not, not just like an on-staff designer, but have like a part of our competent, competency in creating software. Yes, is should that be there's somebody here that does the design. That's the more sustainable strategy. Yeah. That's the thing I kind of agree with. And then if you're doing tons and tons of design, I mean, eventually you hire someone, but it does make sense to have more of a relationship. But if you have these little one-off things that need some design, yeah. I mean, what do you do? I mean, because design is expensive, let's be honest, right? I mean, so I don't know. I think it does fill a niche, and I think they're kind of dismissing it too much out of hand. They, well, that niche. what finally opened my eyes, uh, I don't, well, I don't know if opened my eyes is the right word, but I used to, I, I think that I had been perceiving design like my interpretation of what design was was kind of it's it's the ah, lipstick on a chicken i don't know it's like the outward appearance of something so like <laughs> i'm a good software developer i'll make the software work i'll figure out the navigation and where there's a next button where there's a previous button i'll get the words all right i'll get it all wireframed up for you i'll build it in balsamic mock-ups exactly the way it should be and i need you now to come with your paintbrush and make it ultra pretty in a way that I can't do somehow. And that's, you know, to, to a certain extent, that's a, that's a lot of what graphic design is. But there's, so, there's, there's, there's this whole other thing, which is why I was sort of calling this user experience in graphic design, which is this idea that, like, a designer will look at it and say, I, I can't make, if, if you told me there has to be a next button on the left and a previous button on the right, I can't make that look good. <laughs> the next button has to be on the right, and the previous button has to be on the left. Because that's the only, you know, that, that's the only thing that makes sense. So if you ask me to try to make that look good, it's going to be dysfunctional and absurdly pretty. Sort of like, I mean, like a, I don't, I don't even know how to describe to say what that is, but that, like a Britney Spears kind of design. Right. Well, I, I think it's more a negotiation. I think you have to have yeah. people whose core competency is not, first you want to get out of the software developer mindset, right? Because that's just... Although helpful in certain instances, it can also be like blinders that you're wearing. So to me, it's more of a negotiation, but they're going to have a totally different perspective about how things should work. And I think it's a really valid perspective. And I think you want to fold it in earlier rather than later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's more I, than I think that. that's it's the, that the design is not on the surface. The design goes kind of deep. It, it can't be an afterthought, like you said. Yeah, well, it, but like you said, you're doing it at the end, and I think that's probably the, the root of the problem. Right, right. And, and You've got to be doing it sooner than that. Kind of throughout the process. And it's the designer, like the designer needs to be thinking about, like let's say the designer's goal is to make a website that introduces your product to the world. Well, it's really the designer's job to say there should be, you know, maybe a, a product tour, a screenshot tour that shows you these seven screenshots. They have to figure that out as the designer. It's not for you to tell them and then they just have to figure out what those screenshots look like, which is how we had been doing it, I guess. Or if you look at, you know, if you look at, um, it's sort of the difference between, uh, you know, what's a good example? I, you know, maybe it's the difference between Microsoft and Apple is that at Apple, the design is so much deeper. Like they, they work on the assumption that the iPhone is only going to have one button and that comes from design and everybody else has to figure out how to make things work with that one button. You know, or, or everything about the functionality of the device comes from designers saying, you know, we don't want to have this feature or that feature, or we want the design to look like such and such, and therefore you've got to fit it into this envelope. Uh, I, I, whereas I think that a more Google or Microsoft approach is like, uh, here's all the functionality it's going to have, now go make it pretty. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely the wrong way to go. Yeah. So anyway, so that has to be it has to be in house, in the sense that it has to be somebody who's physically located here who can have conversations with people here, rather yep. than you know every two days somebody sends an email. It has to be continuous conversation and hey, come check out this thing that I just mocked up. Would this work? Is this possible? Etc. And uh, um, anyway, so that's uh, that's that's what we're trying to hire for. So I got like 150 resumes or something like that, and some of them were. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't strict. I, I should have. There's some requirements that I knew that this person was going to have to have. Um, but the trouble is that people won't really. You, you know, you, you can't really make people pay to apply for a job, and <laughs> and you can't. Uh, and, and you could say these are the strict requirements, and you're still going to get hopeful people that just need a job, and they're just applying to everything that they're even remotely slightly qualified for. So, um, but, but it was fairly easy to go through 150 jobs and just find reasons to eliminate <laughs> candidates. Mm-hmm. You mentioned on Twitter you're having trouble finding portfolios. Is that still true? Uh, it's actually surprising how many people applied that did, either didn't have a portfolio. or um, And that was you know, usually just instant ding. You know, like, what, the, what the hell is going on there? But... Um, uh, usually, actually, probably the number one reason that I've rejected people is that when they have portfolios, they're usually multi-talented. And so they're like, you know, here's my animation work, and here's my print work, and here's some brochures that I did, and here's some corporate identity that I did, and here's, uh, you know, some websites that I did. And mm-hmm. I would go straight to the websites because we're building web software here. That's what, we, that's what mostly we're. I mean, we've got those other things, but I need to know that you know, you know, honestly, you have to know something about HTML, and CSS. You have to know a lot about HTML and CSS, I believe, but that's a whole other topic. And so I went to the websites that they did, and a lot of times, I, in, in, most ca- in many, many, many cases, I would get there, I would look at the websites they had designed, and they looked like what we used to call brochureware, where somebody has done a print design, and they've stuck it on the web, often in Flash. Mm-hmm. And it's very static. It doesn't look webby at all. It, the page is designed within an inch of its life. It could be printed. And it, it doesn't. It just doesn't look like a like like a web page, you know. And think right. about the web websites that you go to. It's not because we're programmers, but think about the websites that you actually go to. N- none of them. None of the ones that you go to frequently look like that. What happens? You ever you ever go to like a plumber's website or like somebody's got a vacation home they're renting out and they've hired a web designer to make a web brochure for it. You go to one of those sites and it's designed right out to the edge of the page. You know, there's there's a there's a navigation menu that uses some cutesy font, you know, like little, if, if the vacation house is, is in Arizona, then it's one of those fonts where every letter is a cactus. And it's, you know, home, wow. next, previous. You know, you, know, you know the kind of site I'm looking, the kind of site I'm talking about? It's just like, I do. You, um, you can imagine it printed on glossy paper and being given to you in, by hand. And, and it just doesn't look like a, a web page. It's on the web, but it is not of the web. That was yes, totally. And I see a portfolio full of only that and it's just like, okay, that's easy. Just next, you know, that's not the kind of designer we're looking for. Not even remotely. So uh, anyway, that was, a, that was the number one reason that people got rejected. A lot of times it was, fun, it was also fun to reject people because they just did things that were such violations of, of any kind of design knowledge or aesthetic or whatever, like um, uh, uh, resizing your browser. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> you know? If I open your portfolio and it resizes my browser, you're, you're not going to be my designer. That is not an option. I'm surprised that's still allowed no, by because, the browsers, well, actually. Uh, well, the truth is, it's it's gotten it's 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 uh, yeah, there's a checkbox for whether or not to allow it, and the default is that it's allowed. And I used to turn that off and not allow it, um, but uh, you know I've forgotten 
lately, you know, on every single well, I don't browser know why I that's use. Def- I don't know why that is even on by default anymore. If we're not allowing pop-up windows and stuff like that anymore. Yeah. Why um, do they even allow it? I don't get that. Yeah. They, uh, well, why they is do. that default? And uh, so anyway, so, so a bunch of people got rejected for that, just so you know. that It's like if you are so out of touch with the world of what is acceptable behavior in, in HTML, in, mm-hmm. in, in the web world, that you think you get to make the browser take over the whole screen or you get to make it small so it fits your perfectly designed 640 by 480 brochureware because you couldn't mm-hmm. figure out another solution to that problem or if you think it's okay to start playing music in the background or any of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, um, you know, uh, that, that's just not... Or, or just to put everything in Flash where it's illegible or use... Some, some, one person used way too small a font it was like barely legible. It was like one of those pixel fonts, like the Kotki, the old Jason Kotki fonts that are like, let's see how few pixels I can, I can Well, this actually makes it to. a little bit easier to find designers than programmers. I mean, you can just look at their designs. That, that is correct. Yeah. I mean, it's like click, yeah. click, click. Oh, right? oh, and here's another thing that I rejected people for, which is fun, because we're also looking for a little bit of user experience and information architecture. Like you, you, have, to, you have to make a web page that communicates to people and teaches them things about our products or about whatever it is uh, or that helps them understand what's going on. And if I go to your portfolio and I can't figure out how to navigate because you've invented some new wacky navigation scheme, like click on the right-hand side of the picture to move to the next picture because I can't figure out how to give you an arrow or there's just some kind of new arbitrary, you know, one of those very shock-wavy kind of navigation experiences and you feel like you're playing Myst. Oh, where do I click now? Oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, if I it's have just, that experience, these things are just depressing that you're describing. That you these people are, are not designers. a user experience designer, right? You are. I mean, that is a fun thing to do in the NYU Interactive Technology Program, where you're experiencing with try, trying to play with the boundaries of of good design, so as to figure out where they are. But not if you're trying to sell yourself as a, as a good designer. Well, I hope that works out. I mean, how yeah. long do you think it'll be? Well, I mean, I'm down now to um, uh, seven or eight. That I found that I'm um, that I want a phone interview. So, oh, good. Uh, cool. It's going pretty well. Very good. This is uh, the, the the way I plan to do the phone interview. I guess I'm not giving away any secrets here. Is um, um, I, I asked I asked them um, before the phone interview to find four websites of all the websites in the world, um, two which th- they they think have some good aspect to them that they want to talk about, and two which have a bad aspect about it. Uh, and so one of the websites is something they have to find a, a website just to talk about during the phone interview that they think uh, is particularly good visually and one that is particularly bad visually. And they have to you know, be prepared to defend that and explain why they think that. And then one that they think is particularly good in user interface or user experience and one that they think is particularly bad in, you know, in an interesting way in user experience. So they can basically sort of critique four websites. And that's the way I plan to do the phone interview. That sounds like a good strategy. Yeah, I was wondering how that would work. That sounds totally viable. So one last comment on design before we move on to the next topic is a lot of what I do that that I think passes for reasonably decent design is just attention to detail. Where <laughs> you, no, sorry. Why is that funny? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. What? I'm talking about like on on the sites that you run. Yeah. Maybe not in your life, right? But uh, every little thing that we do on Stack Overflow, I kind of agonize over. Yeah. Um, every line of HTML that actually shows up in the rendered page, I have looked at and considered. Yeah. Um, every pixel that we use, and you know, every little thing that you do on the site, we have tried to think a lot about because 
one of the frustrations I had with Vista that they have fixed in Windows 7 to some extent is Vista, there were so many just raw, unpolished areas where I'm not sure anybody had even thought about is this good? Is this right? I yeah, mean, there was one theory that that's what the, that Microsoft had this big slaughter where they fired all the testers that didn't know how to write automated testing code. They just decided that they were gonna that they they were gonna and this this hit the Windows team particularly hard where they decided testing should be automated, not 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 just humans punching buttons like monkeys. And uh, what they discovered was that it was the humans punching buttons like monkeys that disco- that noticed the inconsistent and unpolished things. Right. Right. I mean, a lot of reasonable, I'm not saying great design, but reasonable design is just looking at every little detail of your product and making sure it's all smooth and polished. Right. Not awesome, but just like decent, right? Like somebody has looked at it and said, does this even make sense? Yeah. You know, and does this pass like the sniff test of people looking at this and giving you feedback? And uh, it's amazing how many products don't appear to do that. I mean, just websites, products you buy from the store. It's like, did anyone really think about this? You know, yeah. was this like, did a team of five people consider this aspect of the product? And you just get the sense that a lot of times it's just ignored. It's just like, okay, well, we nobody just has time to consider every aspect. That's the, the, the trouble is that eventually you wind up with like this gigantic, you know, your web, your web page is large and complicated and deep and goes all over the place. And, well, that's, uh, that's why with Stack Overflow, we try to do just a very few things. Yeah. We try to do those few things very, very well. Right, rather than trying to do everything and yeah. sucking at some of it, like let's just do a handful of things and be really good at those little things. Yeah, I mean that's a philosophy of minimalism that I really like, and I think will get you very, very far compared to your competition. And certainly, Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow doesn't actually even have that many pages if you look at what we do. Right. So anyway, philosophy, but a minor aside, and I think that's a good a shortcut if you don't have time to do proper design, do less. Well, look it, at it, what it, happens, it, I guess what I'm saying is, like, when I, when I look at all the Fog Creek stuff that's out there, you've got stuff that's buried pretty deep. I mean, you, you wind up with a lot of stuff, like the page where you sign up for Fog Bugs, the page where, and that stuff's pretty important because everybody keeps encountering it. But on the other hand, it's, you know, nobody's working on it right now. There is no programmer assigned to the page where you sign up for Fog Bugs right now because it works. And, right. you know, over time, these things, you know, maybe they start out okay, and you're like, we'll revisit that later and make it better, and then you never have time to revisit it. Or it just starts to accumulate cruft where you're like, well, let's make a new, you know, a new subscription plan where you pay in advance. And so somebody goes and adds a checkbox for pay in advance, and the page just starts to get cruftier and cruftier, and it's never really designed like nobody ever looked at the overall design to make it kind of elegant. Right. And I think... Um, no offense, but I think Stack Overflow suffers from that a little bit, where there's like there's been some accumulation of stuff since we launched Stack Overflow. There's more stuff around your name than there was when we launched. There's there's all kinds of little extra like links and features and stuff that weren't originally there, and those have been sort of glommed on in logical ways uh, that kind of make sense. But the overall appearance of the page is like there's just a million little things there on Stack Overflow on the homepage. Wait, 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 wait. You got to be specific. I mean, we haven't really added that much. Give me uh, a specific example. I mean, just look at a page and well, tell me. Uh, what, 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 what have we added since we launched? Isn't there a bunch well, of stuff? Like when, you, when you're looking at an actual oh, – oh, I know what we've added. We added comments. We added uh, uh, all right. those little buttons that are like close, delete, flag. Those weren't there before. Those the, are only visible. Oh, but Maybe you're a moderator. You see okay. way more Fine. fields than okay. most. But we added the comments. We added um, the accept rate thingamajiggy. That's right. There is accept rate. Um, is that the only thing we added around your name and your... That's the only thing. That's why I'm, I'm kind of weirded out that you're like, we added all this stuff around your name. It's like we've added one thing around 
And you have to ask four questions. Oh, we right? added a little envelope at the top of the page when you have replies. That was a new yes. thing. Um, we always had we always did we always have the three um, badge indicators. Yeah. Yeah, we always had that. Uh, and actually, we've removed them. From, you'll notice the badge indicators do not appear on the homepage. Oh yeah, the, you removed them from there. Yeah. I think they're still there on Stack Exchange. You guys never absorbed that change. No, I'm not going to stack it overflow. Oh, I so know the, where they are. They're still there. They're there if you go into questions, but not on the homepage. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, because we just figured they weren't that relevant on the main page, which is kind of yeah. noisy. So, but no, uh, we do. See. We, we added, do. We uh, do remove stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay, but there's still like there's still a lot of elements on the page. It it is very information dense. But yeah. I view this. Uh, well, I have a position on this. I'm going to invoke uh, uh, Tufty. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Tufty is always like, okay, you want really high information density. Yeah. And this is why some people, when they come to the homepage, have said, oh, there's too many numbers on the homepage. Yeah, like, uh, it's like the, do you really need to know that the last question was asked eight seconds ago, and the one before that was 10 seconds ago, and the one before that was 12 seconds ago? And like, yeah, do you need that information? Well, I, I, I could be wrong, but I view this as, you know, Tufty's information density. I, I think all that is relevant in judging a question. One of the things which I, I always get confused about is there's the, uh, the votes, the answers, and the views on the left-hand side of the homepage. And right. because those are presented with equal font size fonts, the numbers are the same size font, and they're just in a row there, right. I always get confused which is which. Like, I could not, no matter how much I use the site, I could not tell you what order those things are in if I, if I close my eyes, the, the vote, the answers, and the views. Like, I right. think maybe views, like, a, like, a, um, like, I think maybe views could be smaller and hidden some, somewhere else. It doesn't need to be as large as the number of answers uh, or the number of votes. Or, but when something comes to the top and it has 10,000 views, you it's because see it's really, really popular. Special. I mean, there's something going you see on that with K that question. Or if it only has five views. I don't know. I mean, I've used this as a Tufty information density thing. I mean, to me, it's like Tufty is always showing, if you read his books, like really detailed lists of numbers. I mean, yeah. He packs tons of numbers in. And I think as long as they're I think symmetry, well, this gets into taste and Oh, here's something we added. We added these little logos next to some of the tags. We got Android, we got RG, we got the Adobe. Those are cool. Well, those are, those are sponsorship things. And I don't even know why some of the tags are bold and some of them are... Oh, I guess that's just how frequently they're used. It's a tag, it's a tag cloud. Yeah, it's like a low-res tag cloud. It's not like a normal tag cloud has like just massive disparity in font size. All right, let's I, take one more listener question while we have time. I didn't mean to go into a, sure. like a whole discussion no, no, no. of the... Uh, that's okay. It's all design page. stuff. It's all good. Yeah. Design. Hi, Joel and Jeff. Here we go. I have a question about code samples. Part of the Joel test is writing code during the interview. Yes. How do you feel about companies which give candidates take-home coding assignments? Waste of time. Also, if you are a candidate, how much time should you spend producing a code sample? As a all, job seeker, all of it. I'd rather be able to point to some code I've written for an open source project than to spend a Saturday writing a sample program for just one company. From the company's perspective, I can see the value in having all candidates answer the same problem. Do you think that take-home coding assignments are an effective means of finding smart candidates who can get things done? Thanks. Um, okay, so I answer. Wait, wait. First of all, who does take-home assignments? It's very for a job common. Interview? Very common. Very really? Common. Yes. I have never. This is, sounds ridiculous, frankly. Ridiculous. <laughs> tell me, tell me why. You. Explain to me why this would even make sense in any pointy-headed manager. Because world. they I don't get, get it. they get two hundred resumes for a job, and they're like, ah, oh, shit. Ninety-eight percent of these people can't program, and then they then and so they're looking for some kind of a screening mechanism to quickly eliminate that ninety-eight percent, and so they give everybody like a take-home programming problem, 
And um, the problem is that the people that can't cheat. No offense, but they do. They cheat. Right. Maybe not by getting someone to help them, but they spend more time on it than they really said that they spend on it. And they get answers on it. They get help on Stack Overflow. And they cut and paste from here, there, and the other thing. And they, they just – you're not going to come up with a question that's so clever that it isn't already in 47 places on the internet. Wait, wait. I, I have a thought about this. So this is going to drive away exactly the kind of people you would want, the people that would realize, like me, that this is ridiculous. Well, now the truth is that there are plenty of completely legit employers that do this because they think that it's going to – I mean, you know, maybe you're trying to get a great job at you know, whatever the company is, and this is just the crazy thing that they got in their head to do. But it's a good company to work for, you know, mostly, and it's in your area, and they pay well, and you know, you'd like to work there. So you think the right – Sometimes you don't have a choice. Sure You'll get a mixture of sort of the bad type of candidates and the good type. So this is really not going to accomplish your goal at all. It's exactly. It will accomplish nothing in terms of distinguishing. Uh, yes, that's, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I, I, t- I totally get that. So Asking them to code in front of you is a way to fig- for you to figure out if they're smart because, and to see that they really know how to program. But, right, but, but yeah. can you do that? Wait, wait, wait. I got an idea. Could, could you do this? I mean, that means they physically have to come there and code in front of you? Uh, you can do that it. Uh, no, you can do it. Uh, well, Scale. It doesn't have to scale how many people you're hiring. Uh, Probably some fraction of the number of people. That well, you this have is their initial so. pass. They're just trying to do some filtering. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, so right. So we do we do that with uh, Copilot or with Etherpad, where we basically you know use Copilot to get onto their computer and ask them to open Notepad, and we do it over the phone. We ask them. To oh, them. that's but right. We do want to see them doing it. We do want to yes. see them doing it because it's the truth is. We want to hear them think. We want to see them think. We want to see how quickly they do things. We want to we want proof that they can do it. Because anybody can generate code, you know, for a million dollars. You know, to get a job, they will be able, they will somehow, they will find a way. You think they're not asking their friends for help when you, when you give them a little programming assignment? It's just, mm-hmm. just, especially the people that can't get jobs as programmers. It's the most so it's the observation part that's really missing here, and that's the key right. part. And, it, and that's where you, you get your insight as to whether this person is smart or not. And, and, and how they really think what they, what they, what they really understand. I, um, I recently asked a, an intern candidate uh, a very, very simple programming problem. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm ruining it because I don't plan to use this problem very much anymore. But y- y- given an array uh, of, of numbers uh, and given uh, a, p- a pointer into the middle of that array, doesn't have to be a pointer, but the, the number, the, an, an element in the middle of that array, like the 37th element out of Wait, wait, Joel, can I use regular expressions? No. Uh, <laughs> You need to write a Sorry. function that determines if uh, the value of all the numbers in the array summed up to the left of that pointer is equal to the value of all the numbers to the right of that pointer. Right? So you've got 100 elements, and I tell you, out of these 100 elements, here's the 100 element array. If I give you the number 37, I need you to tell me that elements you know, 1 through 36 summed up are the same value as 38 through 100 or not. That's, that's really all to it. And there are various, there are uh, more efficient and less efficient ways to do this, and it doesn't matter. It's a very, very easy problem, and it's just meant as a very, very initial, like, okay, are you a complete retardo, or do you know anything about programming? Can you even operate? You, you can do this in any language you want. Um, but what was interesting is that we very rapidly got into a conversation with this intern candidate uh, about you know, the performance of various aspects of this. Like, will that mm-hmm. be efficient? And how does, and he had done it in Python. And I said, well, how does Python actually implement that? Is that going to be checking the length of, you know, on each time through the loop? Or is that going to be, um, and, you know, is there, is there a more efficient way to do this or a less efficient way to do this? Or um, the first code that he was writing was actually making ridiculous numbers of copies of the array. 
So that was never going to be efficient. But he figured that out like right away. And, and, and just in having that conversation, I realized that he was sort of smart and knew what was going on behind the scenes. So if I had just asked him to write that code and send it in, first of all, you know, he would have had plenty of time to debug it and test it. You know, this way I saw him do it in two minutes. Um, I'll tell another story, which is a different story. This intern got hired, by the way. But uh, here's a different story. We had an intern who, uh, not an intern, a, a, a candidate, a job candidate came to apply for a job at Fog Creek. And I gave him an even simpler problem than that, which was given a point to determine if it's inside a rectangle. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did it, but it took him like 45 minutes. It was absurd how long it took him. Really, very, very, very bizarre. And later, he wrote a book. And so we, we, didn't, we didn't hire him for that and for another reason. But uh, it was just taking way too long to do this easy Was problem. it his hair? He didn't like his hair? Well, no. I, I, you're not allowed to. Actually, you are. If you don't like your hair, that's a good reason not to hire them. <laughs> um, later, I saw on his blog that he applied for a job at a very large company that, that does software development, normally has a reputation for, for being good at interviews. And they couldn't be bothered to fly him out for an interview or whatever. So they just asked him to email in the answer to a problem, which lo and behold turned out to be almost exactly the same as the problem I had given this person. <laughs> By coincidence. Yes. And he emailed it in and got the job. Now, the difference between... Like, I didn't hire him pretty much on the basis of it took him 45 minutes to do something that he should have been able to do as fast as he could write. Mm-hmm. You know? And and it's not that he couldn't get the answer. It's that it was just such a freaking struggle for him to do something that easy. He's never going to be able to do anything complicated. This is my feeling at the time. Um, in this particular case, the guy was just kind of inexperienced, and he, he later became a great programmer. But not in time to work for Fogby. Right. Uh, well, so, I think the lesson here of the observation is an important one. I mean, yeah. you have to give people a task and then observe them doing the task. That's what, that's what it's all about. Otherwise, you're just looking at the output, and there's so many variables there, right? Yeah, and you might I mean, say all that matters is the output, but it's really a question of, like, did you, did you, was it time-limited? Like, did you give him 30 minutes to do it? Did you give him 15 minutes to do it? Or did you make him do it, you know, did you give him the weekend to do it? I mean, the, that, that's a big difference, because that's the difference between the good programmers and the bad programmers a lot of times. Well, I guess also observing it. the thought process tells you more than just looking at the output. Oh, yeah. Although it's scary, though, if you think about the way media works, like blogging and stuff. It's like, what if your process is completely broken, but all people see is the output, and they're like, oh, he must be a brilliant writer. Right. Well, <laughs> but the process is totally broken. Does that even yeah. matter? Um, I don't know. It's well, kind of weird if you think about it. I, 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 here are the examples where it matters. If you cheat, if your process involves plagiarism, then it does matter. If your process involves, if it takes you forever to write anything, or if right. all you can do is crib somebody else's notes or write these, you, you, you've probably had people write, take one of your blog posts and just paraphrase it and write it as if it's their own blog post. That's what I do, Joel, on my blog. Yeah, that's true. That's all you do. <laughs> <laughs> but you're quoting, you're just quoting oh, the paragraphs at a time. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. No, but I, I totally agree. It's all about the process. And plus, you have to work with this person, right? I mean, yeah. that's also what you're observing is like, what is it going to be like to work with this person? And if this person is taking 45 minutes to do something that you view as trivial, you're going to be incredibly frustrated sure. if you ever have to work with this person ever. Or, yeah, or if you need them to get stuff done in a reasonable amount of time. Yes. Uh, anyhow, that's, uh, so uh, th- this, is a cra- th- this is a crazy way to do interviews. It's pretty common uh, as an attempt to do first filtering, um, but I just don't believe that it works, n- not having actually done it. But... Um, it, it sounds like uh, that's a great it. bit. 
There is, there is. Uh, oh God, I wish I could remember the name of this website. Uh, there is a company that has a little website that does uh, conduct uh, uh, programming tests for you on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, uh, you. Um, let's see, what is it that you do? Let me see if I can find them. I'm never going to find them again. Well, if you find it, mail it to me, and I'll put it in the we'll show notes. Put it in the show notes. All right, so it's a we website. Should, we should wrap it up here. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Codility. Codility. Let's go there. Codility. Is that it? C o d i l i t y dot com, and um, uh, you go there, and uh, it, uh, it it makes a little uh, programming test, and you can tell it what language, um, what Eng- what language you speak. So it has like English, Chinese, and I don't know Hindi. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Sorry. Polish, I think. Take a free test. And then, uh, yeah, English, Polish, and Chinese. That's what they've done. Uh, and then you can do the, you're given a, pro, a programming problem. You can do it in Java, C, C, Sharp, C, Pascal, Python, or PHP, which is pretty cool. And you have 30 minutes. And it gives you an editor in the web page, and you've got to just start typing your code. And um, so it's going to time you, basically. You have to do it in a certain amount of time. And then it actually uh, runs your code, and determines the, the performance characteristics of your code. So Wait, wait, sh- wait, wait. Okay, do you think this works compared to... To me, this lacks the whole human element that you said was so important before. Correct. Of like, Absolutely. I mean, does that... Well, are you for this or against this? It has a time limit, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it, but... Uh, it can be cheated on, so you pretty much have to bring people in to do this. And they say they developed it. It's, it's sort of interesting that the test is available in English, Polish, and Chinese because that says a little bit of something about why they developed it. They developed it because in certain markets, when you try to hire a programmer, you get enormous number of applicants, all of whom look great on paper, some of whom are – or many, many, many of whom are unbelievably un, unqualified. And so that first screening is very, very important. Like when we do first screening based on resumes, we really can eliminate a lot of bad programmers just by looking at their resume, believe it or not. But, uh, but uh, you know, what will happen is you'll go to, you know, uh, uh, apparently China or India. Um, you'll hire, you, you know, you'll put out an ad for a programmer. You'll get 3,000 applications, all of whom got absolute top marks at the very best universities in India, um, who will come in and, and most of whom will, it turns out, not actually know how to operate a computer. And so they, uh, th- they developed this test for the purpose of being a first screening and I think it would probably work if you did it as a first screening in person. So they have to come in and sit down at a computer and do the test at the computer so there's no cheating. And mm-hmm. you just use it simply as a way to get to the next stage. And it's very similar to what we're doing in our first Copilot interview, except nobody's really watching you, thinking about how you, you – know, you still have to do that stuff later, but this is just a way to reduce that pile of 3,000 applicants down to 30 uh, in a moderately cost-effective kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, anyway, the, 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 we should go on to, I mean, the, the question was also about, like, people ask you to submit a code sample. And that's kind of reasonable, although not really, because I don't think, I think everybody can come up with a code sample that looks pretty good. Most people will come up with code samples of things they've done before. Just saying, all right, look, I contributed to this open source project, and here's some code that I wrote for that. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know how much you learn from from reading that, I mean, I guess. I'm well, I, I will say that I, I have done that in the past, and yeah. I have done some interviewing, not nearly as much as you, but I, I did find that helpful to look at uh, code samples because a lot of a lot of programmers will just refuse to give you code. Like I can't give you any code. I don't, and I that don't that any. is a flag, right? Like I, they can't give Probably. you any code that they're proud of. Like 
Right. The way I phrased it was, give me code that you've written that you're, you're proud of, that yeah. you think is some of your best, most interesting work. And if they come up with nothing, yeah. which happened to me, I was like, okay, well, then that's done, right? I mean, right. how can you not have anything? Well, sometimes they think that it's all owned by their employer and they're not allowed to give it to you. But, but then again, like, why are they not doing anything outside of work? Or I don't know. You should have some projects. I guess. I, I think if you view every, you know, your employer doesn't own you like you're not a slave. I mean, good Lord. I mean, no, but uh, it is completely legitimate for them to say, I can't give you code because it's owned by my employer. They're not, it is. I mean, I think that's a flag if they're not willing to overrule their own employer and, and no, not get away. I think it's a flag. Oh, this is a good one. It's a flag if they, if they break their, if they're willing to break their employment contract, in which they specifically agreed to keep this stuff, cop, you know, to keep the stuff private. Well, they're not going to show you like trade secrets. I'm just asking you to show me like something <laughs> interesting. There's nothing you can show me that's interesting that's yeah. not like a massive trade secret that's like copyrighted. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. Technically speaking, they, 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 they have a point. I think I would, I, w- I would actually, I would, I would think that it was slightly a flag if somebody was working for an employer and they just submitted some code they wrote for that employer without that employer's permission. That's actually like a code fragment, not like the entire, okay. you know, compiling right, application. Yeah. <laughs> Ten lines of code, really? Yeah. What the hell? Or just write something for the, for this purpose. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like generally code that you've written for your employer is code you could have written for yourself anyway. I mean, just. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? Yes, because I, I'm always writing code for nuclear power plants that for my own personal use. I mean, you did loops and increments, and I mean, good lord. The trouble that's is, that's not so interesting. Showing a bunch of loops and increments, and you kind of want to get some, some, something algorithmic and meaty and cool, and I don't know. I guess I don't. I don't like the whole idea. On the other hand, having been on the other side of with graphic designers, just being able to look at their portfolios—that's awesome. I mean, I could not live without that. But then again, right. that is. You know, and that, that is what they do. But, but with, with, with programming, we don't really have our portfolio, so to speak, because almost nobody can do anything by themselves, you know? <laughs> Maybe with accomplished programmers, you're like, look, you, you have to have some open source projects and some things that you built. You have to be able to tell me I worked on that product. But a lot, most of the work we do as programmers, you know, you're working on a big team. It's, it's hard to point to what you did and what other people did. And, you know, the number of people walking around that wrote Microsoft Word or wrote Microsoft Excel or wrote, you know, it's, it's astonishing. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, we should probably wrap it up. We're a little long here. Yeah, let's uh, – this is enough. This is enough. Nobody wants to listen to this crap anyway. <laughs> do you want to do the uh, – you want to do the wrap-up or should I? Okay. I'll do the wrap-up. So right. we have a dedicated phone number you can call if you'd like to ask us an audio question. That is yeah. 646-826-3879. You can also record an audio file of 90 seconds or less and mail it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. Please mention your name. Uh, we also have a wiki, which we link from the show notes, where people who can't listen to the show can read show notes and uh, hear what we said here, see it written on the page. Um, anything else I'm forgetting, Joel? No. What, what was there? What did we promise the previous people about? Uh, oh, t-shirts. About t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. You promised this. I'm going to start charging these what? t-shirts to your account. Uh, <laughs> did we say well, one, one of the one of the people was going to get a t-shirt? Whichever question we thought was best, or all the questions we play on the show, or I, I, it's up to you. I mean, if we play more than one, we can just do one. But if we only play one, then I think that person should get a t-shirt. Well, we paid two. Okay. I just don't remember what the first one Whatever was. Whatever makes sense, man. I'm, I'm very pro T-shirt. <laughs> I, know, I mean, you've got a million of those things. Don't, don't. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for the show. I'll get the Thanks T-shirts out somehow. And see we will week. see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay.
You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.